1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Wednesday evening. And boy, I tell you, there's a lot to talk about, so if you want to join us, give us a call. Here's the number, 833-482-5337, 8334-VALDEZ. So, now listen, occasionally I feel a little more, let's see, how do I say, como se dice? a little more toxically masculine than I usually do. And, and uh, that would make me the president of the Bad Hombres Social Club. And we're going to get into some of that a little bit later. But one guy that's not a bad hombre, even though he is a bad hombre, Joe El Baboso Biden. Now, Joe El Baboso Biden, the president of the United States, known to many by his nickname given to him by El Trompito, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe has now admitted to the world, privately, but it's now out to the world, that he feels tired. And I think it's so funny because some people are saying, you know, what are you going to do, indict this guy because he feels tired? Of course, Joy Reid from MSNBC, she says that McCarthy's gearing up to strongly consider an impeachment inquiry, Speaker McCarthy, that is, because why? Because he's old? Listen to this.
2: Kevin McCarthy is saying he's getting all his ducks in a row for impeachment. It's ridiculous. There's, you know, they're going to impeach Biden for being old. I mean, I, I really don't Robert know what. For existing. For existing and being named Biden. Uh, and But but he it seems like he has to do these things. He has to let them go through these exercises of we're going to defund, you know, Jack Smith's office and we're going to pretend like we can defund state prosecutors. He has to let them go through the exercise in order to stay in power, right? Is that the right. way to read him?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, again, after the marathon round that was kevin mccarthy limping into the speaker's office 15 votes um you know and like you called it i think de facto speaker marjorie taylor green yeah it's like These are the people who are actually running the show. McCarthy is just there as a figurehead. Uh, He is someone who wields no power, no influence. He is being held hostage by the crazy MAGA right extremists that are now part of the insurrectionist LLC, that is the Judiciary Committee, that masquerades around and tries to use the guise of congressional power to justify their political witch hunts. And McCarthy is going to sit there and rubber stamp it because the minute that he doesn't do what they want and this stuff, they'll throw him out.
1: Okay. Now, there was so much said there. And I say a lot of things in jest on this program, but there are a lot of things that are serious, right? And one of the things that I think is serious is, yes, we should be looking at Joe Biden for impeachment. I mean, let's just take a look at so many of the things he's failed on, right? We have the, the most glaring failure is – and again, failure or sabotage, however you want to put it, is the situation at the southern border. So I think that alone qualifies this impeachment inquiry along with every other uh, alleged uh, – criminality that that's being um, investigated right now by what he's calling insurrection LLC, the Judiciary Committee and the Oversight Committee and the Ways and Means Committee. I mean, there isn't a committee right now that isn't looking into his affairs. But I will say this. They admitted that Joe El Baboso Biden is old and we all know that he's old, but now he's admitted it as well. Listen to this. This is on the Daily Mail out of the UK. Uh, 80-year-old Biden admits to his age that he feels, quote, tired. And this new book is raising more questions about the president's age, depriving him of the energy. These are the words that uh, he uttered. This new book is uh, revealing President Biden's concerns that he's tired because of his age. Now, of course, Biden, 80 years old, he keeps uh, his schedule clear before 10 a.m. So just imagine we have a president of the United States who just pretty much, I'm gonna say he's, at least publicly, he's not working before 10. He's staying in bed late. He's doing what he's gotta do in the morning. And and this is in a book by uh, Franklin Foyer. I'm not recommending the book because I haven't read it, but he's written uh, something on this. Maybe if I read it, maybe we'll bring him on. But Biden has admitted this. And it, it's interesting to me that that there isn't more discussion on this because I think this is a big issue. Just yesterday, we talked about what happened with Mitch McConnell and him freezing up or potentially having a seizure? These are serious concerns. When you're the guy with the nuclear football, when you have the codes to destroy the planet or at least a good portion of it or start a nuclear Armageddon, which would likely destroy all of the planet, and let alone all that, that's the extreme. Just what about – you're the guy that has the ability to, to continue giving more aid to Ukraine. And look, I'm in Ukraine's corner. I want to see them – free and and get rid of Russia and I want to see peace, but I also don't approve of Joe El Baboso Biden spending like a drunken sailor, but that's where he are. He's old, right? Why isn't it okay for Joe El Baboso Biden to be toxically masculine? Why can't he be part of the bad hombre social club, which I'm the president of, at least for tonight? Why? Why do we have to settle for this very passive president on everything that matters, but yet incredibly aggressive on everything that's detrimental to the country. I don't understand. I really don't. Uh, Hopefully you guys can help me understand when um, you you call in, because this is one of those that stumps me. And again, I, I have my own ideas and I share them with you every day, of course. But the reality is we have a real interesting conundrum on our hands. There's a lot of people that Biden's tired and he's admitting he's tired and he's not even at election day yet. Right, He's not even at his second term. Why on earth should the American people even consider giving him another term? When we look at what's going on, just because he wants to come out and whisper, he's going to whisper, folks, and say, it's working. It's working. Bidenomics is working. It doesn't mean it's working. I mean, really, I, I'm trying to have a frank conversation here with you guys, and don't call me frank. But seriously, I, I just don't, uh, I don't get why, why there isn't more, maybe because everybody's on vacation, maybe because it's the end of August, I don't know. What I do know is that immigration's a problem, the economy's a problem, our national security is continually, uh, increasingly becoming more and more of a problem because it's not being checked, it's not being protected, it's not being uh, managed properly. We've got a, a slew of problems. And nothing, nothing, nothing seems to be happening. So I don't know. Forgive me for being uh, the bearer of not so great news tonight, but I'm just looking at the glass a little half empty. So maybe you could cheer me up as we move forward, and uh, maybe the discussions with our guests will put me back on track. But I got to tell you, it doesn't look good. And I'm and I'm shocked and amazed. I talk to people and they tell me, you know, you know, I love Biden. People tell me, this, you know, I love Biden. He's just a cute old man. He's just he's a nice guy. He was Obama's sidekick. He was this and and I'm thinking maybe I'm looking at life through the wrong lens. Maybe I'm seeing things you don't see. Maybe you're looking at life through the wrong lens. I don't know. But I know this open border is running amok. And people for years on, in you know, border states and border cities, they've been crying about this forever and nobody ever cared. Now it's knocking at almost everybody's door because it's in America's major cities, not the least of which is New York City where New Yorkers are fed up and they're in the streets and they're protesting and they're having fistfights and they're getting arrested. One of those New Yorkers, he used his first phone call coming out of jail to uh, call us, Curtis Slewa. And uh, we had a conversation with him about what was going on in New York. And since then, he's been arrested two more times for protesting illegal immigration. So you know what? Curtis Lee is going to join us for another update on why he keeps getting locked up for challenging elite Eric Adams in New York City and the failure of the Biden administration to protect America at our southern border. All of that is still to come. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez.
4: This
0: is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
5: To you, rich all the time
0: america at night with rich valdez
6: well any, anytime you start out a question with the name curtis Slewa, that in itself states that it would do a disservice to me and other new yorkers for me to even respond to that curtis Slewa? i mean i mean if you go look in a dictionary for the word buffoon and tell me what picture you come up with
1: so there's Eric Adams. And of course, I did look in the dictionary under buffoon. There was a beautiful headshot of Eric Adams there. I don't know what he was trying to get at there, but welcome back. Familia, Rich Valdez here with you uh, discussing what's going on in New York City. And now the twice and thrice arrested Curtis Sliwa, who's our guest. Curtis Slewa, welcome back.
6: Oh, the liberty loving Latino, Rich Valdez. Bad news to your audience. Rich uh, left a check. With Santa Ana's picture on him from Mexico and the check bounce. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to have to go back in. Come on, Rich. You're going to postpone. I'm going to bail you out, brother. Checks don't bounce.
1: Uh, My my money's good here, but not with Adams. So listen, so Uh, now uh, you've you've been called a buffoon now. Uh, Now, listen, I'm not an expert on politics, but I've been around long enough to know you never acknowledge the other guy. I think this is a big deal, right, where he actually acknowledges you and calls you a name.
6: Oh, absolutely. Look, uh, he's punching down. He's been turned down by his hero. Remember, he called himself the Biden of Brooklyn when he was Brooklyn Borough President before he was elected mayor over me. And he's gotten no play from the president or his staff. Then the one person he had a relationship with, Kathy Hochul, the governor, that's falling apart. Now they're at each other's throats. So I figured he figured he can't punch up, so he might as well punch down. But I'm used to this. Look, I've been married five times. This, this comes <laughs> with the territory. I've been called every bad word in the world by my ex-wives. So it's far for the cost. A buffoon is really light stuff compared to many of the things I've been called in my life.
1: I love that. Now, Curtis Lewa, the last time we call, we called you, you know, I figuratively bailed you out. You made your first phone call to us after getting out of the slammer. And then I see the next day you get, a lock, you get locked up again. Did you get locked up a second or a third time?
6: Yep. Uh, I've been arrested three times. The most recent was outside of Gracie Mansion in Manhattan, which is the home uh, that a mayor can use. Although the swagger man with no plan who loves to party until the break of dawn is rarely at Gracie Mansion. But a month prior, while every day five buses arrive of illegal aliens, generally from the Texas border, the mayor, nobody forced them to, said, you know, I'm a general. I lead from the front. My staff has indicated that I really should welcome some migrant families into Gracie Mansion and they should stay here. Then the next day, he did what he calls a pivot and shift. I call it a flip-flop. And he said, Rich, he said, well, the powers to be told me I can't do it. And then my response was, you're the mayor. Of course you could do it. You just don't want to do it. And then finally, he said, well, it's symbolism. And I got to tell you, Rich, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, people on this invasion of illegal aliens, they don't want symbolism. They want action. They want a plan. And uh, so... With two 81-year-old, one man, one woman, the woman, her uh, name was Coletta. She was from Casablanca in Morocco. The moment I heard that, I said, oh, you mean the Humphrey Bogart movie? He said, yeah, I came here legally many years ago. It took a while for my brothers and sisters to join me. We had to do things the right way. We had to have a sponsor. We had to dot the I, cross the T. All in total, it took a total of 12 years for her and her family to arrive and eventually uh, work their way to becoming citizens by taking a test. The rich most Americans couldn't pass, uh, and they were so proud to be citizens. So she was arrested with me, and a guy named Will was arrested with me, who's also 81, and you know what they did? In honor of Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, who have been arrested uh, like 48 hours before in Fulton County, they photographed us and fingerprinted us.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable. Now, Curtis Lee, I was watching the videos and uh, it was all over my my social media feeds. There were videos of of people breaking out into fistfights and all sorts of things. And in one of them, I see you there with the guy and you're tussling with the guy. What happened there?
6: Well, we had a permit to have a demonstration from two in the afternoon to four outside of Gracie Mansion in Manhattan, Uh, mostly older people. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Antifa shows up, and it's a paramilitary organization. They train. They know exactly what they're up to, dressed all in black. The cops told them they would have to retreat to their own pen, so they would be on one side, we would be on the other. And actually, both sides, they're screaming at one another. No biggie. That's everybody's First Amendment right of free speech. I don't have a problem with that. But then they left their pen, and the cops always in New York City, whenever Antifa shows up, Rich, it's like Superman with kryptonite. For some reason, they get weak. They can't handle them. They broke through their pen. They attacked a group of senior citizens. And then I got to tell you, you know me. I'm Old Testament, Rich. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, We started brawling out there, and Antifa retreated. We did not start it. We did not want to fight. When you attack elderly people, cowardly, viciously, we repelled them. And you know something, Rich? They left. That's how you deal with Antifa. They're not there, like I said, to exercise their First Amendment rights of free speech. They're there to crack skulls. I know what they do, if you remember, in the summer— of 2020, the summer of George Floyd mm-hmm. after the lockdown and pandemic, they were out there every day. There'd be a protest and looting and shooting at night by Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions and Antifa. They broke my jaw <laughs> with a claw hammer. So I know how they operate and I'm not going to let them hurt uh, elderly people. So, yeah, did we flex? Do we have to drop a few? Rich, you saw the film, right? You didn't did. see us dropping, did you?
1: No, no. a uh, matter of fact, I was watching. I think I was with my daughter. And I was like, look at Curtis. She's like, oh, my God. He's, ha- he's having a fight. <laughs> I was like, And she's like, he's doing really good. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's Curtis. He's an OG, original gangster. Folks, we're on with Curtis Lee, a founder of the Guardian Angels, New York City radio host extraordinaire. And, and Curtis, I got to tell you, I think you've done well in your life. You've done well in your broadcasting career. You, you've started a great organization. You know, in the uh, minute and a half we have left, I want you to tell me and tell the audience why, why you still do this? You know, you're pushing 69, 70 years old. What's the, uh, the impetus for you to be so involved?
6: I trust people, Rich, as you always know, I don't trust politicians. I don't care if they're Republicans and Democrats. I don't trust them. Look, I'm a politician ever since I kissed my first baby, shook my first hand when I ran for mayor of New York city the last time around and lost fair and square to Eric Adams. Uh, I trust people. That's why I'm going to be running again in two years to make Eric Adams a one-term mayor. But when I become mayor, I'm going to delegate it to the people to take responsibility, for the people to make a difference, for the people to be self-sufficient. The less you are dependent on government, no matter who you are, the better we are as a society. When we are dependent on government, we become impotent. We can't think for ourselves we can't we can't even speak for ourselves and that's really what my life is dedicated to it's people power not political power
1: boom couldn't have said it better myself curtis Lewa, when we come back i want to get your thoughts on a couple of other t- topics including some national ones folks we're on with curtis leo founder of the guardian Angels safety patrol group which started with just 13 people and has grown to hundreds of, of cities uh, all over the world and um If you want to join the conversation, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. Now, Curtis, quickly before we go, let everybody know what the website is in case they want to check it out during the break before we come back.
6: Yeah, guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. You can see what we're doing all over the world. Uh, But also, if you need to get in touch with me. Uh, you can pop me an email or go on the social networking and we will definitely reconnect with you.
1: All right, folks, there's more Curtis Lee, but to come. We're going to get his reaction to Governor Hochul's latest uh, cry for help from the federal government to uh, issue work permits and to issue them immediately. We're going to get to that straight ahead again. Eight, three, three, four, eight, two, five, three, three, seven, eight, three, three, four, Valdez. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back.
7: That's why today I have sent a letter to President Biden formally requesting immediate executive action in four key areas. First, expedited work authorization so we can get these people out of shelters and into the jobs. Financial support for federal housing vouchers, schools, health care, legal services, case management and shelter for us to provide to these asylum seekers. The use of more federal facilities to construct new temporary shelters and reimbursement for the cost of our National Guard, which have been on the ground at these shelters throughout the state since last year.
1: So Kathy Hochul wants the fast track to work permits. And to me, this is. Literally saying the quiet part out loud. She's literally admitting this is what we're doing, right? We're replacing the American workforce with cheap labor. We're bringing them in by the truckload at the southern border. We're shuttling them to the city of choice, whichever city, Mayorkas and Biden and the rest of them. And Hochul, the the governor, and Adams, the mayor, are complicit as everything, and now they're feeling the brunt of it because they've got to face people uh, on the front lines, and they've got people like Curtis Sliwa, the founder of the Guardian Angel Safety Patrol Group in New York City and abroad, and uh, super duper radio host who taught me a good part of what I know in this business. Him, Mark Levin, John Batchelor, just great mentors that I've had. And now here's Curtis Lewa getting into rumbles, doing what he's got to do. Curtis Sliwa our guest. He's with us. And Curtis, what do you say to Hochul when she says, hey, we need these work permits fast? Is this a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Where do you stand?
6: You know, years ago when Ronald Reagan gave blanket amnesty to everybody who had snuck into the country, The Republicans were in favor of illegal immigration for cheap labor. The Democrats, strong union supporters, said no, no, a thousand times no. That's why Cesar Chavez, who was the head of the United Farm Workers Union, was opposed to illegal aliens. He said, I've worked so hard to organize the men and women in the fields to get them a wage, to get them some benefits. You bring illegals in and they're going to underprice them, no benefits. And then we're back to square one. Now, all of a sudden. 40 years later, it's in complete reversal. The Republicans are opposed to the illegal immigration and the Democrats are encouraging it. Well, if you allow them to get a speeded up permit to get work legally, that's just going to cause that many more people to want to bum rush the border and get in because in their minds better get in before they close the border. Except they don't understand under Joe Biden, they'll never close the border. Secondly, Rich, think of the hundreds of men and women that were laid off, fired, who would not get the vaccine, who have never been hired back, even though the pandemic is over. And we realize a lot of the fear, fright, hysteria and hype about the vaccine, needing it against COVID-19 was just incorrect information from Fauci and others. And they're still on the shelf. They still can't work. They're still not being called back. We're hiring migrants who don't even have vaccines. Their kids are going to school. They're not even required to have vaccines. Your kids are required to have vaccines. My kids are. The double standards are absolutely mind-boggling. This, this turned everything upside down. In fact, if you go to a school and you're registering an illegal alien child, that child gets prioritized. Not the child who grew up in the district, not the child whose parents are paying taxes, not the child maybe whose uh, father or mother has served in military service. The illegal alien's child. This is crazy.
1: You know, Curtis Lee, I've always uh, stood up for public schools, public charter schools, school choice. I think every kid deserves a, a good education. And, and I'm not faulting any of the kids that are here Uh in this mess, but a lot of parents are very concerned about overcrowding in schools and and their children not being able to get what they need because the schools are being stretched thin because of all this influx of, of new students. And, and I have to think, why and how is the Biden administration, the, the mayor, the governor, everybody seems to be turning a blind eye to that particular issue and uh, nobody's calling them out on it.
6: Well, let me tell you something. You got to call everybody out on it. I think first and foremost, the parents themselves uh, who are already in the front lines of battling schools and administrators and teachers unions who don't want them to know what the hell they're doing with their children, including when determining that they'll get hormonal injections and be able to uh, remove their Their anatomical parts without a parent even knowing what's going on. This is just another step. This is just another step. Basically, Rich, it's this. Uh, The elected officials are the sheep herders. We're the sheep. Eh, 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 eh. Pay your taxes. (laughs) Shut the hell up. We can take care of your kids better than you can. And just be grateful that, that we're educating your children. But don't stick your nose in. Don't act like it's. You know, you should be minding your own business, leave it to the educators, leave it to the bureaucrats. And I think Americans have had it enough. And now with the migrant kids coming in, basically getting an easy pass, not having to jump and deal with the same regulations as all the adults or all the children going to school, people have had enough. It's the straw that has broken the camel's back, which has led to so many demonstrations that I'm involved in here in New York City where, we have thousands of people out there, and the socialists show up with AOC, all our crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and they pale in comparison. They're only 40 or 50, and we got 4,000, and they leave, and they leave, because they can't deal with that. They're used to being in control. They're not used to being on the run.
1: Now, Curtis Lewa, with uh, two minutes to you, I, I, I've heard today that Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis is uh, advocating for a secession of Staten Island from the city of New York. What's going on?
6: I'm not a resident of Staten Island, although I won Staten Island in the mayoral election. It was the only borough I won overwhelmingly. I would say to everybody in New York City and New York State, because what's required is a referendum, an initiative. And this passed in 1992. That's how we ended up getting Rudy Giuliani as mayor. He gave the city a badly needed colonic and got us back on track. But it was the vote for secession that drove out so many people in Staten Island who had had it. They wanted to secede from New York, except in the legislature and the governor at that time, Mario Cuomo would not permit it. Once again, Nicole Maliotakis who is renewing that effort. And I say, wait, if you're going to go run the table. Don't go to become your own city, independent and autonomous in the state of New York, become the 51st state. A lot of people don't realize that right before the Constitution was signed, Vermont broke off from the state of New York and became its own state. I think Staten Island, which has a little more than 500,000 people, almost uh, as many as Vermont, it has 550,000, Wyoming, 570,000, if things Break in the right direction. Uh, if we have a Republican president, a Republican majority leader in the Senate, and McCarthy remains Speaker, Staten Island could conceivably become the fifty-first state. And Rich, you wow. know, you know the analytics there. You'd have two Republican senators, sure. a Republican Congressperson.
1: Amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm hopeful to see how that plays out. I, I, I don't know that it will, but I'm, I'm well, really well, I, looking I, I keep forward singing, to it. I keep singing, let my people go, Kathy Hochul. Let my people
6: in Staten Island go.
1: <laughs> I love it. Folks, we're on with Curtis Lewa, founder of the Guardian Angel Safety Patrol Group in New York City and uh, former candidate for mayor of the city of New York. He says he's running again, and we're going to get his take on what's going on with 2024 and a lot more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle.
4: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
5: Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way,
1: Richie Valdez is terrific.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, familia, welcome back. We're here with Curtis Sliwa. And Curtis Sliwa, uh, Biden is is all over the place. Today, he's um, said to have admitted that he feels tired, tired and, and perhaps not up to the task. But yet he's running for reelection election and uh, I'm wondering, how do you think 2024 shapes up? Do we get Joe Biden or do we get a plan B? I
6: got to tell you, uh, from my generation, which is Joe Biden's generation, not you. You weren't even birthed at that time, Rich <laughs> you, we used to They used to advertise on TV Geritol for iron poor blood. If you were tired, take a little Geritol. Or actually, JFK and his race against Richard Nixon – he said he was taking B-12 shots, was taking speed amphetamine, So, I mean, that would that would put uh, Joe Biden over the edge. But, I mean, I could just imagine in a room, Mitch McConnell, Fetterman, uh, Dianne Feinstein, Joe and Biden. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> right. Having a conversation, or at least attempting to. But, you know, he's going to hold on because the Democrats believe that the abortion issue, they're going to be able to ride into, back into the White House. And they truly believe if tru, uh, Trump survives the primary process, which it looks like he will, that they can beat Trump. Now, obviously, uh, in this case, uh, Joe Biden is very depleted in the eyes of even his supporters. Now, if Trump does win the Republican nomination, will that be enough to get women to cross over that Maginot line? Because let's face it. That's Trump's Achilles heel. He's going to get the men's vote. He's going to get votes of people who are fired up. They don't want to take it anymore. But still, it was the women that got him to be president in 2016 when they broke for him over Hillary uh, 11 days before the election. Hillary is still in that fetal position at the Jacob Javits Convention Center on the ground. She, (laughs) She can't believe she lost the female vote. But then again, he lost the female vote against Joe Biden. So really, that's the key to victory. There are so many many more women out there in America who actually vote. Guys talk a lot of trash, but women vote, and that's the road to victory.
1: Now, with the the way things are playing out, right, Uh, I think a lot of people thought certain people were going to do better than they're doing in the uh, Republican primary. Uh, Ramaswamy's taken a, a, a dip in his popularity and, and an upswing in his uh, unfavorable rating. And I think DeSantis is still um, not where they expected him to be. W- what do you think uh, that field is going to look like? What's your um, political punditry tell you?
6: Well, as you mentioned, Ramaswamy has no shot at the nomination. But, boy, he's going to be one of those prosperity ministers. I can see it now, giving (laughs) Dollar and Osteen a run for their money. Very disappointed in Senator Scott. Uh, It took him about three minutes uh, just to answer a question without addressing it. Nikki Haley on the geopolitical international issues was sharp. Shamu El Hefe, Chris Christie, the Hitman. <laughs> well, with no Trump on the stage, he had nobody to hit. DeSantis, he started slow. He got better. Again, good performance in Florida, dealing with Hurricane Number Two. So, I still think the race is uh, Trump DeSantis. I don't see really anybody uh, making any ground, and we'll see. It's just every time Trump gets indicted, every time he gets arraigned. He not only raises more money for his campaign, the victimization process helps him. And I think especially with women, he needs a better showing of women this time around. And if so, he'll be president of the United States again. And then it'll be just like that scene in The Godfather at the baptism. Trump will look at everyone in the White House and he'll say, guys and gals, it's time we settle all scores. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Folks, Curtis Lee was founder of the Guardian Angel Safety Patrol Group in New York City. Started off with a handful of people. And now it's huge. How many cities are you in now, Curtis? And how many countries?
6: We're in 13 countries, democracies and dictatorships. We're in third world countries, first world countries, 130 cities with 5,000 members. And we deal with it all. We're in places where they don't even have police, like in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro, the encampments in Cape Town, where you wouldn't even bother calling the police, Mexico City. And then we're in a lot of first world countries where we have a great relationship with the police. Wherever we are, it's local people from that community who train as guardian angels. The same rules apply, no weapons. But we will get physical. We will make citizens arrest. So we're not just eyes and ears. You know, see something, say something. Well, what good does that do? See something, say something as they're walking in right to a, a retail establishment. They're looting. They're taking everything that isn't, that isn't nailed down. And we see you. We see, We're going to report you. And they wait for you and say, go ahead, knock yourself out. I'm not going to get arrested.
1: Curtis Lewa, you are a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot. Tell everybody again how they could follow you, whether it's your campaign website or your Guardian Angels website. Either one. Well, I
6: don't have a campaign website yet because the day I file uh, to run or I raise my first dollar, they're going to knock me off the airwaves like they did the last time. The oh, FCC.
1: yeah, that's true.
6: So all you have to do is just go to www.guardianangels.org. You can get in touch with me that way. But you can see what the Guardian Angels are doing all over the world. It's incredible work. One man, one woman can make a difference. And I think we proved that 44 years ago.
1: Outstanding. Folks, give him a follow on social media as well. He's got a great social media feed, Curtis Slewa Curtis Slewa, again, thanks for being here. Thanks for making your first phone call to us after the first time you got locked up and joining us now after the third time you got locked up. If you got locked up again, I'm bringing you back. Folks, Curtis Sliwa, thank you, sir.
6: Anytime, Rich. Just don't try to bail me out because your bounce checks. That doesn't work <laughs> at the police precinct.
1: There's no cash bail, brother. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue the conversation here. Your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. That's
4: Valdez with an S.
1: H. Valdez. So gone are the days of Pas. Circle Back Pasaki. Remember Jenper Circle Back Pasaki Silent P of course. And I, I you know I, I had a good time with her because she was so funny and she gave us so many good sound bites. The Korean Jumpier sound bites are just not as funny. I mean they're funny but it's almost like funny sad. It's like ah oh, pobrecita, I feel bad. Ay bendito. But that's what it is. And you you've got Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, she's getting some pushback from the from the press pool that's in the briefing room at the White House asking about Biden's age. And in a classic move from uh, President Reagan in his um, debate, I think it was with Walter Mondale, where he says, I'm not going to hold my opponent's youth and inexperience against them. She, she takes a page from that playbook and, uh, and gives a pretty weak response, but slightly humorous. Check this out. Is the White House worried that questions about President Biden's stamina could ultimately impact whether or not voters will be able to support him for a second term?
7: So I'm going to be careful about 2024. I can't speak to that directly, but you can talk
1: about the perception of the public with the president's stamina and his age.
7: I'm I'm happy to talk about that. I get asked that question a lot. Here's the thing. You know, what this president brings to this administration is wisdom and experience. And you and that is just true with as senator, as vice president and now as president. And we just talked about we had a really and I appreciate the conversation that we had on Medicare, the, the 10, the first 10 tranche of, uh, of uh, prescription drugs that we just introduced because of the Inflation Reduction Act. And that is the thing that the president is able to do is deliver, really move forward historic pieces of legislation, change the lives of Americans for generations to come. And that is what we focus on, the president's record and what he's been able to do. Look, people have come after the president about his age. They did it in 2019. They did it in 2020, leading into the general election. And they they did it in 2022. And guess what? He beats them every time because he has his finger on the pulse on what it is that the American people need.
1: He has his finger on the pulse. He barely has the pulse. Joe El Baboso Biden, also known as Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe. He's almost weekend at Bernie's, Joe. I got to tell you, this is just comical to look at. But the polls are in. And the Associated Press, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research poll comes in with President Joe Biden is too old and confused. And the other side of the uh, equation says that President Donald Trump is not honest enough, according to this poll. So that's where people are at in this poll. And this is, uh, again, U.S. adults that were polled. So we'll uh, continue talking about that. Plus, I want to talk about the BRICS nations, right? The BRICS consortium, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They're coming after the U.S. dollar. Are they going to give us a run for our money? We're going to find out straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. Join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, if you are able to. 833-482-5337, 8334-VALDEZ. President Trump has pled not guilty to the charges in Georgia, as was expected. And the doctor at the United States Capitol says that Senator Mitch McConnell has been medically cleared one day after freezing um, at his press conference. So uh, I really do wish him the best, but I think there's a problem, right? There's a problem in Washington when you have all of these – I'm going to go with the term old fogies. When you have all of these viejitos – that's uh, Spanish for old fogey – who are holding on for dear life just for the sake of political power. And it's, it's problematic, in my opinion, and we'll talk about that again a little bit later because I think that's a real problem. If we, if, we, um, if we worked on that, we'd do, I think, a little bit better. We'd have a less power play, and term limits would be ideal, but I don't know that we're going to get those. And, of course, uh, President Biden's administration has met with the folks in New York to provide a pledge for a massive campaign to give work permits to illegal immigrants. And uh, we'll continue that discussion as well at the top of the next hour. Right now, I want to talk about some of the headlines that are coming out of the uh, international feed. And uh, BRICS, you know, BRICS is um, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, this coalition of nations that are trying to replace the petrodollar and this consortium that they've built and they're expanding. They want to bring in more people into the fold to challenge the U.S. dollar. And a lot of people are questioning whether it can or can't be done. I, I'm not one of those that's e- on either side, honestly. Uh, I'm not saying I'm for it or against it. I'm saying I don't know that if they can do it or not. Some people think that when you put all those countries together, that their, their ability to pool their resources and economies would be massive, and the fact that they all are oil-producing nations or have some sort of natural resource uh, really puts them in the driver's seat. Yet they're not, they're loosely coalescing here, right? They're not really creating something, but are they, right? And that's the question that remains. But the uh, president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, he uh, recently uh, made some comments welcoming all of the new nations to the BRICS forum. Listen to this.
6: More than 20 countries from around the
4: world have formally applied to join BRICS. And several others have expressed
6: an interest in becoming part of the BRICS family. South Africa supports the expansion of the membership of BRICS. The
8: value of BRICS extends beyond the interests of its current members.
1: So the globalist elites are saying that this is not the end of the world order as we know it. It's an alternative world order. I say this stuff smells uh, fishy to me. Now, Adam Angievsky is the CEO of Open the Books Foundation, com, and he's here to discuss the national debt and how this is a security threat as the BRICS conference convenes to bring in more people to challenge the dominance of the U.S. dollar. Adam Mangievsky, welcome back, brother. Well, it's great to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me back. You bet. Uh, I want to get into this because I, I love getting, you know, I, I bring on a number of guests and Everybody's got a different opinion on this, uh, on BRICS, and and I'm curious to see where you come in on it and to see what you can report to us tonight because I feel that, you know, either way, whether it's a realistic threat to the dollar or a perceived threat, it's a threat nonetheless, in my opinion, and one that we should take seriously. And again, one that I feel Joe El Baboso Biden, President Biden, as I call him, um, I feel he's totally silent on this, Adam.
3: Well, he is silent on it. And BRICS has one goal, and that's to de dollarize the global economy. And Rich, we're doing a great job of that right there in Washington, D.C. So if you were holding a (laughs) dollar in 1972, you better be holding $7 today just to keep your purchasing power equal. And that flywheel is spinning a lot faster. So that's a 50 year period. It's been estimated that over the course of the next 37 years, if you're holding a dollar today, you need to be holding $8 by the year 2050 just to keep your purchasing power equal.
1: So we're doing a great job of devaluing our own dollar. And this is really problematic. And again, the devaluation of our own dollar is what's gotten us into this big uh, issue with inflation and, and uh, the central bank printing all the money that it's printing. And I feel like this is something that most people that are getting up in the morning and going to work and living their lives, raising their kids or helping their grown kids or just trying to survive. This isn't something that's top of mind for many of them. Then there are some people that, you know, have that commute to work where they can listen to, to some radio and they, and they do get into these topics and they just get really angry at everything that they're hearing. But the reality is this is a problem that we need to know about and to discuss. And what type of threat, if, if at all, if you see it as a threat, I, I do. Um, what uh, would you say it's a serious threat or a moderate threat or not a threat at all? Uh, of this actually materializing and replacing the dollar.
3: So our, our national debt, in our opinion, is our biggest national security threat. And that, that echoes the Admiral Michael Mullins back in 2010. He was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Ta- Staff under President Barack Obama when he said the same thing. Um, our former honorary chairman is Dr. Tom Coburn. Dr. Coburn said that when your national debt rivals the size of your economy, it's not foreign forces that you should be concerned about anymore, but those Washington, D.C. politicians and the unelected bureaucrats who, who have become addicted to borrowing and spending. And that, that's exactly where we're at. So right now on the interest on the national debt next year, it's forecast to rival the amount of, of money that we're paying on the national debt is forecast to rival our budget for the Department of Defense. In 2033 we're budgeted to spend estimated to spend 1.4 trillion dollars on the interest on in our national debt. Today we spend 1.3 trillion dollars on payments to social security. So it's crowding out core government services.
1: So this is a, a serious question and again we're, we're I don't know a couple of weeks away from looking at a, another potential government shutdown over the this very topic of of our of our debt and spending. How, um, how do we dig ourselves out of the problem that we've dug ourselves into? So I think we need hard caps on spending. You've got to slap a
3: cap on the politicians in Washington, D.C. And they're, you know, both parties aren't going to do it uh, to themselves. This has to be led by regular people all over the country. There has to be a transparency and accountability revolution. We, the people, need to tell our elected officials – to stop spending our money. And look, Republicans just brought back the currency of corruption in Congress. They just brought back the irregular process of earmarking. And right now in the bills they're going to vote on this fall, Republicans in the House went hog wild for earmarks. Actually, the top 63 largest earmarkers in the House are now Republicans.
1: You don't even hit a Democrat mm. till the 64th. Wow. So with a problem like that, when you have, uh, like many have described, the uniparty uh, that that are all drunk on on spending, what uh, what's the resort right? How do what is the the answer for Americans? But for expecting to see massive tax increases and continued inflation, albeit maybe managed to the point where they continue to raise interest rates to manage inflation. Uh, eventually, we all get priced out of living in the U.S. Is everybody just going to pick up and move?
3: <laughs> well, you can't, and so so the battle is is with each of us, and it's the way it's been since the founding of the country. The American experiment doesn't rest on our elites in Washington D.C. It rests with you and I, the individual. The entire system, right. actually, as you know, Rich, uh, individuals are invested with the power in this system, and we now's the time to raise our voice. We need to get engaged and hold elected officials accountable. I don't care if they're on your school boards or all the way to Washington, D.C. accountable. And I'm not just talking. Look, at OpentheBooks.com, we've captured virtually every dime taxed and spent at every level of government across the United States. We filed 55,000 Freedom of Information Act requests last year to do that. So you, everybody listening, can come to our website at openthebooks.com, and like I say, I don't care if it's your city your county, your township, your school district, your state, all the way to Washington, D.C., we have the spending. We have the salaries. We have, you know, 25 million public employees by name, position, and what they made last year. And you can search it all, start asking questions, demanding answers, and holding the elected officials and the unelected bureaucrats accountable.
1: You know, Adam, NGFC, I'm looking at this chart in, in the the piece that you guys have which shows this, this skyrocketing debt from a trillion dollars in 1980 in the Reagan years to $32.5 trillion today. And, it of course, it's it's spending, it's corruption, it's all of that. But it, it really is unthinkable. So when we come back, I really want to dig into that and then circle back to to how the BRICS people could take advantage of this. Folks, we're on with Adam Andrzejewski, he's the CEO at the Open the Books Foundation, com. And they do an amazing job at putting this stuff together. So check out their website and support them if you can. And we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
9: Valdez who again will do a fine job and I know
1: you'll enjoy listening to it.
0: This is America at night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, folks, we're on with Adam Angievsky, he's the CEO of the Open the Books Foundation. OpenTheBooks.com is the website. And I uh, want to go to the phones. Let's hear what America has to stay on uh, to say on this topic. Let's go to Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC, and check in with Frank. Frank, go right ahead. You're on with Adam Angievsky and Rich Valdez. Welcome,
5: Mr. Ad- Adam Angievsky, I'm sure you are a very sincere person and you mean well, but in fact, you are insulting our intelligence. I've been listening to people like you since 1985. Jim Bohannon said the same thing. Everyone's being uh, people. Have, it's just not going to do any good. Our country is going to go broke, and you must know it.
1: Thank you, Frank. Well, I appreciate your candor. And honestly, and just if, this isn't God. an indictment on Adam Angievsky. He's just kind of being the bearer of the bad news. But, Adam, what say you? No, look, I'm an American. I'm hopeful and optimistic about our future. <clears throat> yeah.
3: Uh, you know, we're the greatest nation ever conceived in the history of the world, so we can do this. Um, I, I would not uh, give up that fight ever. I've dedicated my life to giving America a chance. But the caller has a point. A typical republic lasts about 200 years. We're in a period right now where we, we the people, are trying to cheat history. And what I'm uh, outlining to you this evening is a plan, is a battle plan to save the republic from those big spending politicians in Washington, D.C. that will bankrupt our country. Uh, and And the plan is it's got to come from individuals It's got to come from regular Americans all over this country that decide to review the tax and spend decisions of their elected officials and hold them accountable.
1: I think it's the only way that America has a future. I agree with you. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was that um, downgrade from Fitch where we were downgraded um, to, uh, from AA Plus to AAA. And I'd spoken with a couple of economists on this, and the, the, the view was this isn't good. It's not good, but it's not the end. We can we can get out of this if if we fix the problem, and I I think the question just remains: Do we fix the problem, and do we get out of it with respect to our um, our debt our rating with Fitch?
3: Yeah, look, you know, people were saying it came out of left field. Well, it didn't come out of left field. Moody's, the other rating service, downgraded the U.S. credit to AA to, to AA plus ten years ago. So Fitch was actually late to the game, but it is a warning shot, and it's not being heard, I can tell you, in Washington, D.C., in either party. So what Fitch said is that there's a steady decline in governance standards related to financial fiscal responsibility and debt management. That has not been heard in Washington, D.C. The Democrats and Bidenomics, they continue to want to spend more. And Republicans, like I said earlier, are embracing
1: corrupt practices like earmarks. So when it comes down to how this boils down internationally on the world stage with bricks chomping at the bit to take us out and, and to you know, produce their own oil and potentially replace the dollar as the uh, reserve currency, um, where do you think we stand? So
3: I think first, the history lesson, you know, people believe, you know, a lot of people out there believe that the U.S. dollar cannot be replaced as the world's reserve currency. Well, that's just not true. And you got you have to go back to the English pound. So in 1815, the English pound became the world reserve currency. And in 1944, at the Breton uh, Conference, the dollar replaced the pound. It's been less than 80 years. The dollar certainly can be replaced. It's not going to happen overnight. We're in a we're still in the number one position. It's a strong position. But like I said earlier, the the efforts by China to destabilize the dollar now through this BRICS consortium of co- countries, uh, you know, they're trying to destabilize the dollar. But Washington D.C. and our bureaucrats and unelected bureaucrats like the Treasury Secretary
1: Yellen, they're doing they're doing. The devaluation She's doing of the dollar, four bricks. <laughs> right, right. And that, that's the concern I have when I put my political hat on. I think, man, this isn't good. It looks like we're playing right into their hand.
3: Yeah, exactly. So um, the forecasts are by the Congressional Budget Office, by 2050, our national debt will be 225% of our economy like you're in uncharted waters there. There hasn't been a country ever that's come back from that brink. And Yellen has set us on that path. She's testified recently in front of Congress under questioning from US Senator Ron Johnson that she's totally comfortable with 50 trillion dollars worth of national debt. Today, we're at 33 trillion. That's up over 40 some years from 1 trillion. Like this is a crisis
1: hundred percent. I agree with that. Adam Adjiefsky, you guys do amazing work at Open the Books. Uh, tell everybody in the minute that we have remaining how um, they could um, check out everything you've got and the type of work you're doing. Well, we believe transparency
3: revolutionizes United States public policy and politics. And we not only open the books, we audit them, and the audits make national news. So, for example, if you know that Fauci was the number one most highly compensated bureaucrat, that's just one of the myriad of stories we've broken over the course of the last two years. So come to our website, sign in with your email address, and you'll be on our breaking news list.
1: And let them know what the website is. It's open the books.com. And if people want to follow you on social media, where do they go? So we're, we're on all the different platforms.
3: If you just uh, search, open the books, our stuff comes right up. For instance, like on Facebook, we've got over a half million followers. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, all the major, all
1: the major platforms, of course outstanding. Adam Andrzejewski, you are a a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot. I appreciate the work that you do. And I think it's important. It really is. This is this is important stuff and uh, things that, you know, I don't wake up thinking about the national debt, but I should. Right. And years ago, I used to work uh, uh, not that many years ago, but some years ago, I used to work at WABC and there used to be a debt clock right outside Madison Square Garden. And then, you, you know, it hits you in the face and you just see it going, ticking up, ticking up, ticking up. I think we need those clocks everywhere in America for people to, you know, keep that top of mind awareness. Again, thanks for joining us and staying up late. I'm sorry. Thank you. It's an excellent idea, Rich. Thank you very much for having me here this evening. Likewise. We'll do it again soon. And, folks, we're going to continue with our conversation tonight. We have a lot to discuss and, of course, your calls that are coming up in Open Phone America. That's coming up right now. We're going to switch gears and talk about the media and uh, the bias within the media and how that's working out for the Democrats. So don't go anywhere. We're going to continue that discussion. And, again, the number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ.
3: So glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, familia, welcome back. Our telephone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez. And the media is... Doing what the media does right the the left within the media do what they do, the right within the media do what they do, and I'm quite frankly, even those that are to the right of the center, you know whether it's fox or o a n or newsmax, where their commentary leans to the right they they don't quite do the damage that the the left does right the left just really uh Skews the truth. I think, if anything, it's just a counterbalance where we're pushing back on what they're saying to try to help you get to the truth, and to give a you know an interpretation of the crazy that they're spewing. And the media is is a tough place to navigate because so many people take it for granted, right? Most people that are out there, um, whether you're a single mom going to work trying to take care of your family, or a a married family of four, five, six, twenty, whatever the case is, and whatever your situation is. People have a life to live, and when they're living that life, and they don't have the life I have, right, where I'm, I'm monitoring the news, I'm reading articles, I do all this stuff all day, anyway, it's my job, but not everybody has this job. So I realized that, and when people turn on the news in the morning, and they're listening to some funny morning show host that's, you know, putting a smile on their face to put them in a good mood, and they're getting a top or bottom of the hour news break, they're, they're taking that news as gospel truth. And lamentably, the news isn't always as honest as we would expect it to be. And this is what's going on, right? I, I think there's a, a, a genuine plan, not only from the the politicos on the left to destroy everybody that is their political enemy with public enemy number one being Donald Trump, Donaldus Magnus, El Trumpito, but, but everybody that's a supporter or follower thereof. And... It seems like this attempt to humiliate Trump, to humiliate Republicans, to destroy them and, and scare people to death is is their angle. And I want to talk about that with Adam Weiss. Adam Weiss is a publicist. He's the CEO of AMWPR. It's a New York City um, political strategy and communications firm. And uh, and he's very involved. He's got his finger on the pulse and he understands the media. Adam Weiss, welcome back, sir. Rich, thanks for having me. You bet. So I want to get into this because I know that, you know, we've we've had a lot of talk about what's going on with the Trump mugshot and they beat him up for selling mugs and T-shirts and doing all of this. But to me, the bigger picture is they're they're trying to scare people into submission. They're trying to just demonize everybody that's their opponent. And that's something I I personally don't believe in. I don't do it on this program. I've never seen you do that, Uh, whether you're creating a. um, uh, an opposition ad or, or not. Right. Uh, ultimately there's real life. There's people that we disagree with and we get along with them anyway. Um, do you feel that this strategy, A, do you think I'm right? Uh, am I just overboard on this? And B, do you think this strategy works?
10: You know, uh, just the basic rich, we have to, you know, as people that are day in, day in and day out, we're involved in the process because you have a national show and I'm, working in you know in the media business, it's so hard to get through to people that are busy. Right, they just go to work, they go about their things, they have kids, and you know I could tell a little example. I had two different partners: one a girlfriend partner, another one was a business partner. Both of them were far left when I started in business and relationships. But a couple of years later, they saw the picture. But it took me two years, <laughs> and they right. realized, wow, you're so. But you do it in a polite way, Adam. You do it in a you know a really a calm way. And you really spell it out but that's that's kind of what we have to deal with in america you got like the most of the establishment media and most of the echo chambers but they don't we don't just you know it ain't just the media that we have to fight fight against it's culture it's hollywood it's the universities so there's a big battle against the values of america it's like so even though we're a 50 50 country we should be really a 60 40 country if we had if we played on a fair playground and we don't because the institutions that run the echo chamber that really move culture are far left. And that's what we always have to fight against. Even if you look at, uh, look at the uh, tragedy right now in Maui, right? Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when it was Hurricane Katrina. And within a two or three days, George Bush never recovered from the damage that they, the media did to George Bush. They blamed the hurricane on George Bush. I remember like how does how does the president how did he be, and then everything he did they went after him how dare you take a helicopter ride oversee overlooking Louisiana like what is he supposed to do in the, the beginning of a hurricane go in there and cause chaos he just wanted to oversee it but they criticized for that he criticized for the uh, evacuation and they really destroyed his popularity but you know because that was in the age when Republican conservatives didn't fight back until we had a Trump you know, George Bush was a pleasant guy, a very charming, but he never fought back in the media. And one thing we learned from Trump is at least he taught some conservatives and the culture of conservatives to fight back against the media, open their eyes to the bias.
1: Yeah, fight for the truth. And, and, and I think that's yeah. the, the real battle here. It, this is a battle for the truth. There's tons of information out there and people are being led one way. And it, it to me, it seems it, I, I feel like it's a losing battle. I feel like we're fighting a fire that doesn't go out. But you got to stand there and hold your hose anyway, because, you know, it's, it's mitigating the spread of the fire. But how do we get to a point, And do we ever? I don't know where where the media becomes, uh, you know, at least the, the left within the media, which is the majority of, of the mainstream. How do we get to a place? where that happens? Is it people becoming educated through alternative media and saying, you know what, I'm not interested anymore, which I think we're seeing with CNN, their project, CNN plus failing. Uh, w- what does that look like?
10: The one hopeful spot is there's so many alternative media out there, right? I went on a, a podcast where hundreds of thousands of people. People saw me and there's so many podcasts out there and there's so many radio stations or so many YouTube pages and rumble. So there is alternative media out there, but, you know, the battles that we have to fight through still the major media establishment in the country are far left. And if they can't even cover that the Bidens and their whole family and the son has been so crazy, you can't, and they won't even cover that. If they don't cover that, so, it's really not that difficult. He took millions of dollars from China, took a million dollars from Russia. All the family took it. It's in their bank account through LLCs. The son's on video having video you know, processors. They can't even cover that. So, how do we break through if such a simple story that we were taught? When I did a class, I taught a class, in, uh, and I was just saying, sex, drugs, sell, right? But not when it's, a, they throw out the rule book when it's a liberal Democrat or the president's son, because everything was in those videos sex, drugs, money mm-hmm. exchange. And nobody, they didn't want to, nah, none of the established media wanted to cover it. So, he, the people on the right know about it, but does middle? Did the people that watch still the mainstream media, what we call the left wing? Do they really know these stories that we know?
1: Right, and and I think ultimately this this boils down to this this strategy to to demonize and lie, and and this is a. It's a conundrum. It's definitely a conundrum. Folks, if you want to join in the conversation on the media and media bias with our buddy Adam Weiss, uh, feel free to give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
4: This
0: is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. No hair, no care, and live on the air it's Rich Valdez.
1: All right, now, before we get to your calls, I just wanted to address something with Adam Weiss, our guest. He's a media strategist, and I want to get your take on this, Adam Weiss. I know you've got a piece that uh, came out earlier on the thedailycaller.com where you're recommending that Trump should steer clear of the debate stage, at least for now. Uh, what's your What's your thinking on that? Well, I thought, like,
10: if, if you're, like, uh, I'm going to take an analogy of boxer. If you're the heavyweight champ of the world, let's say thirty eight and one. You go into guys that are two and three or three and two or four and three that can bloody up for no reason, hey, wait let's wait till the guy is twenty nine and two and he's the number one, number two, number one and number two, number three contender. Why go in and give a bloviator like Chris Christie the opportunity to take cheap shots of your left and right when all he is really in there for is probably to get a job at CNN, MSNBC, same as Asa Hutchinson. And, you know, and the third and the other part of it is why give CN, why give uh, Fox, who's not been friendly to him recently, big ratings, right? right. And another thing is it's very difficult because, you know, the media never, ever is fair to Trump. He's really got to be careful because he, you know, Trump is – Trump is Trump. And that's what one of the things we love about him. But he does talk a lot. And you're sitting with four cases in front of him. And, you know, those prosecutors are watching every word he says. So it's really uh, better off to stay at the sidelines for that.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, You you definitely want to go uh, after the number one contender when it's your turn. It's it's kind of it's his to cherry pick and say, hey, uh, take your pick do what you got to do. Now, talking about the debates and, and how 2024 is, is shaping up on the Republican side, because that's really the only action we see. We don't see much action on the Democrat side. I think it's Marianne Williamson, uh, who's a perennial candidate, as well as um, uh, RFK Jr., who I would have thought he'd be doing better. Um, let, let's go there. Well, what's your thought on RFK Jr.? Do you think he's going to be able to uh, splinter some of the the vote from Biden? Does he make an impact? Uh, I don't, I feel like he's not making the impact that he should be able to make. I really don't
10: know. I think he is, but just there's kind of like a media black eye on him. Man. He's, you know, right. he's, just, he's for a different day and age. And Let's go back to somewhere in the early 2000s or even the 90s. RFK, he seems like at this day and time that he's a moderate Republican. It's just not a fit for the Democratic Party right now. He's, you know, he's anti-war. He's against, you know, he doesn't want these lockdowns. He doesn't want these mandates. He's not for Russian vaccines. There's a lot of the things that free-thinking libertarians and some conservatives agree with him. So I don't know where he finds the votes in the Democratic Party. There's not enough of those old-school Democrats left for him to make a dent. And... And obviously those policies that he's preaching pretty much antithesis against what the media, the media is totally against the things that he's preaching. So they're not giving him He seems to be his, his outlets seem to be more right center of right
1: conservative media that he's been on late, of, as of late. You know, when we look at that, I think you made a good point there. Do you think he would have fared better or would be doing better now if he ran as a Republican? Or do you think he would be dead in the water to whatever Democrat support? Because, again, he's a big liberal, right? I mean, I've listened to him on the radio for years just to hear stuff that he was saying so I could fight with the radio and then talk about it later. And uh, when he he was on the air with Air America uh, and then the the reboot of Air America. And and I just think it's uh, interesting. Do you think he would have done uh, – he, could he have had any gravitas uh, on the Republican stage? I think with the name,
10: you know, he'd definitely have gravitas. He definitely – get a lot of media but i think he's just you he think his couple of policies is extremely pro-choice which is you have you know in a, in a republican primary your primaries oh. drive out the base oh. the base tends to be more conservative so i don't think he would really fare well although with the name kennedy he would tr- tremendous get a tremendous amount of publicity and you never know how he would if he would take off or not You know, the one guy who's really doing well is Vivek Ramaswamy. I wrote a column on him recently, and he's just, you know, us being in the media business, he's everywhere. So he's really uh,
1: playing the right strategy as a young uh, up-and-comer. He is. However, um, post-debate, there was a a poll that came out that showed his uh, unfavorable numbers shot up by seven points, and his favorable number went down by two points. And I think there was a couple of things that that probably, you know, uh, there was a few instances where he didn't strike a chord with the crowd. He's a great communicator and I think he's really sharp. And I think Trump earlier today uh, posted on Truth Social that, he, you know, he, he'd be um, he's somebody to look at for VP. And, and I'm wondering, I, I don't see him as a conservative. Um, and I think that's the majority of the Republican base right now, the, the Tea Party um, base of the party. So when I look at that, I think, uh, can Ramaswamy, you know, make it, uh, or is he somebody that's maybe a cabinet pick later on, or what do you think the end game for him is?
10: I think yeah, who would have thought just four months ago, five months ago, that there'd be articles written about Ramaswamy as a possible vice presidential pick. So right, that's true. Everywhere, everywhere I turn, he's on a podcast. Whether the podcast is five thousand people. CNN, he's on MSNBC, he goes in the lion's den and fights with him, and he does it in an articulate, you know, clear, uh, friendly way. And he does, he's the, and it, and some of those videos turn into viral videos. I don't know what the other candidates, DeSantis should take a playbook right out of Ramaswamy and Trump. Because and when Trump ran in 15th, he went everywhere. He did every show. And, that's, and you're in it to win it. So why are they
1: not doing media? Why is DeSantis not everywhere? Has DeSantis ever been on your show? No, and he's been invited. Ramaswamy no has, <laughs> to your point. Yeah, I just, I mean, Ramaswamy's everywhere. He's just masterful. That's why he's sat up to sometimes
10: second place in the polls. There's not a podcast or a show he doesn't go on. You have this free alter—your free media, really, right? All you got to do is have a good booker, someone who pitches a story. You get called up, come on, I want you on tonight, and DeSantis is playing it safe with pollsters and political pundits and consultants. DeSantis is running a campaign like it was 15, 20 years ago. Does he not understand There's Airwaves like yourself can read hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, podcasts, you can read hundreds of thousands of people all the time, all day long.
1: Yeah, good point. Now, Adam Weiss, let everybody know how they can uh, find out more about the work that you're doing and how they could keep up with uh, some of the columns you're putting out. So.
10: You can find me at Adam Matthew. That's my, uh, you know, that's my uh, Twitter handle. Adam five PR. Uh, Adam Weiss is my, uh, Instagram. You can find me on Instagram a lot. I'm always out and about traveling and doing my thing I'm in the PR world. So that's kind of like
1: where I'm, uh, yeah, it's where you live folks. Adam right Weiss. New York. Yeah. I hear you brother. Um, i got to hit this pause here. So, folks, Adam Weiss, check him out. Check out his website. Give him a follow. He's, he's got really good columns, and he's in the know. And thanks for staying up late. I know it's uh, it's late on the East Coast, and I appreciate it, brother. AMWPR, if you need me. Thank you. Rich, thanks for having me. You got it, brother. Godspeed. All right, folks, your calls and more are coming up. Uh, Open Phone America is moments away. Don't move a muscle.
0: This is America at Night 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
1: So earlier today, we recorded a part of the podcast that comes out weekly. This is America with Rich Valdez. It's a distinct program from this one that we do on the radio. And I've been doing it for years. And one of the topics that I covered was Pope Francis, right? Pope Francis has now taken aim at conservative Catholics in the United States saying that, quote, backward thinking is problematic and that they're focused on ideology. And I think this is an argument that really cuts both ways, right? You've got Catholics, uh, forget the Catholic part, just when you're criticizing someone for being ideological, That's literally the the criticism that people would have at each other, right? I think many are saying that Pope Francis and many like him are subscribing to liberation theology and are are way more liberal and that their liberal ideology is um, kind of outpacing their theological doctrine and, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. And vice versa, he's saying that about them. He came out swinging. So if you get a chance, I want you to check it out uh, on the uh, podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez. If you're not subscribed, please do. Uh, I'd appreciate that. And Pope Francis, he just really took aim at the the, the Catholic uh, bishops conference in the United States. And, And and mainly it seems like all conservatives and saying that it's. And here's the quote. He said, you've seen that in the United States, the situation's not easy. There is a very strong reactionary attitude. It's. Organized, and it shapes the way people belong, even emotionally. So he's saying people are getting all out of sorts because of the way they believe. But isn't that exactly what we're supposed to be? Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's coming from this ideologue here, uh, taking exception to what the Pope is saying. But uh, all due respect to the Pope, I think I respectfully disagree. Anyway, we're going to continue with Open Phone America, a time-tested tradition here on this program, Eight six six five zero five. 505 4626 is our legacy line, and that's open for your calls. I'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez. Live
0: from the city that never sleeps.
1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and uh, welcome. This is our late-night national town hall conversation. You're welcome to join at 833-482-5337, and there's a a video that's still going around. It I think it came out last October, and it's just emblematic of everything that we talk about every day when it comes to the culture wars, right? Where people are saying, look, people that have lived their entire lives saying, look, if you're homosexual that has nothing to do with me, good for you, you know, let go and let God and everybody's living happily ever after. However, all of a sudden today they want to make you out to be a homophobe. If you take exception to this being taught to your children as a part of public education, and I have to say, as a parent, I would also take exception to that. And there is a video that was sent to me, and the teacher's name is Nairobi Cologne. She's from the Chip charter, KIP charter schools in Camden, New Jersey. And while some of you may listen to this and think, oh, it's very innocuous. She's just explaining herself. I think you need to take a step back and think, when in history... Have we ever heard a teacher make such an elaborate explanation of how she is to be addressed in the classroom? Anyway, I want you to listen to this.
11: My name is Teacher Roby. I am not binary. I use they, them pronouns. For example, they are a great art teacher. They taught us how to draw stitch. Many of you already know that about me. Pronouns are super important for myself, for you. It's important that we get it right every single time. If you ever make a mistake, I'll just politely correct you. And you should also be making sure that you use those correct pronouns. Um, if you have questions about that, we can talk about it offline, all right?
1: So this is interesting, right? She's polite. She made it, it was straight to the point. And, and listen, I could understand... Um, The the frustration, the angst, if I were to walk into, I I get mad when people call me Rick instead of rich. So listen, I get it. You know, you're misgendering me. And especially if someone was saying, nice to meet you, ma'am. I don't look like a ma'am. I'm a bald guy with a beard. But I get it. But I I also think there's a time and place for these things. And it's not necessarily to go into I'm non-binary and talk to, you know, a kindergarten class or fourth graders or whatever they are. I feel like that's inappropriate. And maybe it's just me being from the old school of being a Gen Xer that's 45 years old. I don't know. But I'd love for you to weigh in on that. And plus, I want to get your thoughts on a lot of other things, right? Because there's a number of topics we talked about tonight. We talked about the BRICS consortium, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, that are now trying to um, compete with the G20 by welcoming in 20 more nations to the BRICS consortium. Uh, we also talked about the out-of-control immigration and how it's affecting cities all across the country, including New York City, where they were brawling over the weekend. And uh, we, we had that discussion. And and so much more of what we talked about with our national debt. So I want to get to the phones because I know there's a lot of people that have been hold, uh, on hold for a long time. And uh, let me just see in order of appearance here. Let's see. we got calls, just so you know. Alabama. New York. Tennessee. Uh, Let's see here, Idaho, Reno, Nevada, Reading, Pennsylvania, Michigan, South Carolina. Man, we got a lot of people on here. So let's let's start, and uh, let's go to, here we go, Ron. He's in Alabama, listening on 96.1. Ron, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
8: Uh, Yes, sir. There's a lot of stuff going on, man. Hey, Ron, how are you? Uh, Thank you, sir. I'm doing mighty fine. I hope you're doing well.
1: I am doing great, thank, uh, thank God.
8: Yes, sir, thank God. He is a gracious God. Thank you for taking my call.
1: Sure. What's on your mind?
8: Uh, well, like I said, there's so many topics. I I want to um, just stick on a couple of things. One. Sure. Let's uh, start with the first one. All right. Then Constitution. How how when it was written uh, by 1808. You know they're supposed to be the free. Everybody was supposed to have done worked out the, the senators and everyone was supposed to have worked this out uh, because of the certain amount of slavery and such. Uh, and that, and that's right there in section nine, the first uh, first paragraph. It says it. And and uh, anymore, they used to sit and talk and discuss these matters
4: mm-hmm.
8: like. like like the first amendment it took 3 months for them to work it out even though uh it it, it was uh, pretty plain they wanted to make sure each word was correct so that uh, no one uh, down the road like where we are now could could misinterpret it so it uh, just the first amendment alone took 3 months and they they really worked out you're right out. and
1: there was a lot of deliberation in the constitutional convention over a lot of things and and you had the Jeffersonians and the Madisonians that were you know constantly uh, butting heads, and uh, it, it's a good point. What what's the um, did you want to say something about uh, the Fulton County deal?
8: Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go I right wanted, ahead. Let me mention this first. Uh, as a uh, member, uh, John John Adams, uh, whenever he freed the slaves, you uh, know it was eighteen uh, fourteen or eighteen twelve the the ship that that tried to sneak in and they said no that this was in 1808 that was supposed to be no more uh bringing in slavery uh it, it, and and so that he freed those using just the constitution and that was John Adams uh uh Arma said
1: yeah Ron I'm sorry we're we're out of time I appreciate it excellent history lesson from Ron in Alabama good man and uh we're going to come right back with uh, the rest of your calls and everything else that we're going to dig into tonight. Again, the phone number 833-482-5337 833-4VALDEZ
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez Call now 833-4VALDEZ That's 833-482-5337 833-4VALDEZ That's Valdez with an S Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an
7: S. You were quoted as saying that the U.S. wants China to have a strong economy. Is that true? It is true. You know, prior to my visit, I spoke with President Biden to, you know, obviously hear his direction. And what he said in that call, which is what he has said time and time again, is that we, you know, we, the Chinese people deserve uh, a good economy and prosperity. We have no interest to hold China down, to hold China back, to hold the people down. We have an interest to uh, protect our national security, first and foremost. China's military fusion strategy is very troubling. And we have an interest to have a level playing field so that our companies and workers can compete.
1: So that's Gina Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce for the United States, saying, "Yes, it's true. We 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 don't want to hold uh, China down. We don't want to hold China back. Well, if you don't want to hold them back, why are you holding back the United States with these crazy policies? Th- this is the stuff that burns my britches. Anyway, um, let's um, let's go to the phones on this one. Let's find out what's going on on your mind." with respect to China and and all of this BRICS uh, nonsense. Let's go to Kim in Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA. Go right ahead, Kim.
11: Hi, Rich. I'll talk quick. Um, I wanted to uh, talk—I called in about the BRICS. I'd also, if we have time, like to say something about Pope Francis. But I just wanted to say that I really like— Adam and Jasky have opened the books, and I like Curtis Sleewis. Those are two good guys, you know, that that you have on. Yes, they're good. Now, um, getting to the bricks. Uh, I know there's the five of them, and they're talking about adding 15 or 20 more, but people need to think about this. Like if you have $50,000, do you feel safer putting it in the U.S. dollar with all our debt and everything? But, Or do you feel better putting it with Brazil, whose leader is Lula, who is a part of the Workers' Communist Party, Russia, India, who is getting very chummy with China, and South Africa is the only one I don't really have a beef with. But where do you feel better putting your money, with the U.S. or with those clowns? And the thing I'd like to say about, um, Pope Francis, when he was instilled in his position, rumors were coming out that he was, had socialistic and com- communist ideas. And people need to know that. Two of the biggest NGOs, non-government organizations that are helping resettle the 7 million illegals so far are Catholic charities and Lutheran charities. And there's a bunch more, but people need to know where Pope Francis's ideals are, you know, bombarding us with illegal foreigners, you know?
1: hundred percent. I totally, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that, that's exactly the angle they're taking. Right now, people are saying, look. The U.S. is the world's reserve currency. It's legitimately the petrodollar. But these guys are big petro producers, and they, they have their, their hands in these things and, and in those types of deals. So I think they're trying to create a scenario where they gain influence with smaller countries, the G20 that they've created, uh, the, or the, the BRICS consortium that they've created to, to counter the G20 to try and assuage people away from the the U.S. dollar. And to go towards uh, this brick-backed uh, crypto or whatever it is that they're thinking of coming up with. The problem is I think it's still premature and they don't have all their ducks in a row. But I feel like if we don't do something to counter that, that arrogance uh, may end up hurting us in the long run. And again, that could be my own naivete. I don't know. But it's, a, it's an interesting concept nonetheless. And I think you're right. Right now, that's the case. I don't know if that will be the case uh, forever. But uh, excellent call. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Let us continue. Let's go to Paul from Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Paul, go right ahead.
8: Good
12: evening, Rich.
1: <laughs> um, there, there are no
12: such things as alternative facts. And I don't say that necessarily about one party or the other. Facts are facts. However, the understanding of the data the background of the person or the group, which tends to give them perhaps some perspective or, or, or um, um, bias or whatever. But the facts are the facts in terms of what is real. Now, in terms of our debt, I'm going to make a brief analogy about how much debt we can carry. If I was a young married man with my wife and we bought our first house for it would be way, way above our savings and our ability to earn. And we'd be paying for the mortgage at on time, 20 or 30 years. However, if I smelled smoke coming out of a portion of the house and I could run to a nearby hardware store and buy that hardware store and bring it back to put out the fire, It wasn't a wasted purchase to buy the the, the hose. It was a time where to save that, which was a whole bunch more than my value and what was very important to me, really required that I buy some things to put the fire out. Now, translating that into the economy. First of all, too much debt is too much debt. However, how how much is how much to debt? Back at the turn of the century, Detroit was going to go under. Hundreds of thousands of jobs were going to be lost. The suppliers and the people that were vendors to the companies and their workers, there would have been probably half a million people out of work. And a Republican decided it would be good to extend a $1 billion loan loan And also a Democrat who came out in the party, I believe, after that, both understood that we needed to save Detroit. It was too big to to die. Are you
1: comparing Detroit to the United States?
12: um, Yes, in the sense that um, it was a huge amount of um, debt that they were having and they were going to go bankrupt, just like some people say our country is going to go. And the country advanced two or three billion dollars in order to save them. What's not always known is all the Detroit companies paid back every dollar of that debt with interest. So that was a big, back then, a billion was, was huge, almost like million, a trillion is today. Now, uh, you
1: got to get President to the Biden, bottom line, Paul.
12: Okay. President Biden, with the with Republican votes, passed the. Uh, the, the bill to help to preserve our roads, bridges, power lines, and so forth, that's worthwhile because it will save lives and it it'll make things safer and, and we'll like it. So that's an example of where extending ourselves is, is important to do. However, if somebody wants to extend for something that's not valuable, then he or she is wrong.
1: Okay, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm not following all of it. But uh, ultimately, I think, number one, this American Rescue Plan, the criticism there was not the investment in infrastructure. The criticism was to claim that you were investing in infrastructure and spending the money on every other piece of pork imaginable. And I think that's what ended up happening. So we now have, uh, I don't know, $4 trillion in, in spending. Um, we can attribute two, two, the first $2 trillion to the to the lockdowns and, and the, the COVID payments and all of that. So we follow that up with another 4000000000000 trillion. We're at $6 trillion in the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years, whatever it is. And that's the criticism, right? We, we've spent way more than, than we're able to spend and with very little to show, with lots of waste, fraud, abuse, and pork all over the place. You know, if it were really that, if that were the case, I wouldn't you know, worry about my, my car Shaking when I drive down the streets, and again, it's uh, it's 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 really um, it's not the same thing. But the reality is, it's not like we've improved equity in an amazing way in in the United States. uh, Excuse me, the um, infrastructure in the United States. That's not the case. Uh, Perhaps I'm uh, speaking out of school in terms of it hasn't happened yet, but. I can't justify Biden spending that kind of money and putting us into inflation um, based on your hose analogy, where it makes sense to protect your investment. I get that. We want to take care of the country. That's part of the government's job. I don't think anybody's going to fault the government for doing that. The the, the reality becomes when we fund all of these other things and all of these other um, kind of woke programs and what what we've seen in the military, with the, all of this money went all over the place. And so little of it went to actually building back better. And and that's the, the grand problem that we have here. I haven't seen anything. You know, n- nothing's built, nothing's back, and nothing's better. If it were, we'd be in better shape. Paul, I thank you for the call in Reading, Pennsylvania, WEEU 830. Uh, great station, by the way. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls momentarily. Uh, we still have calls from Idaho and from Reno, Nevada. We're coming to you straight ahead. Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Jamestown, New York, WJTN. One of my favorites, Derek, he loves to fight with me. We'll try and get you on right away. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Again, the phone number is 833-482-5337. And if you missed any of the interviews that we had tonight, definitely go to the website, dot night.com. And you can check out all of the interviews. Kim mentioned she liked some of our guests tonight. If you missed any of those because you're listening on a station that doesn't carry the entire three hours of the program, go and check it out. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. I appreciate it. Folks, the music means they're kicking me out for a second, but we're coming right back. And there's a rap song that's gone viral about Donald Trump. We might have a clip of that on the other side of this as well. Don't go anywhere.
0: Two five three three seven eight three three four valdez That's Valdez with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. We're back to your calls, and uh, let's go to Paul, Boise, Idaho. K B O I. Go right ahead.
5: Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Rich. Yes, sir. <clears throat> I think that uh, it's high time that we get the Twenty Fifth Amendment um, put on to Joe.
1: Yeah. The, the uh, only issue with that is the 25th amendment can only come from the cabinet and the cabinets, not we, I wish it was, I wish they represented we, the people. I think if if you took the polls, you look at any of the polls, people are dissatisfied. I haven't seen a poll yet that says, should Biden be impeached? And if there is one, I haven't seen it, but I wish, I wish there was one or two courageous people there to, um, to, to, to say, hey, you know what, the president's not doing well. Kamala Harris, right? Kamala Harris would be ideal. Maybe her and Buttigieg, it would be ideal for them to say, we, we're going to stage a coup, right? The 25th Amendment, we're going to get this guy out of here. But lamentably, I don't see anybody with the political courage or the level of patriotism or love of country that would actually go ahead and, and present uh, an argument for the 25th Amendment.
5: And that's partisan then all the way that they're not able to do that or don't want to do that. The way I see it, the man had an aneurysm extracted from his brain about 25 years ago, and I think that may have something to do with his cognitive um, shortcomings that he's got. I uh, think you, you're right. You see it upstairs. You see it when he's walking, when he le- tries to leave a podium. You, you see it everywhere. I mean, he fell off the bicycle that one day. Um, it's just one thing after another. And then when he speaks, it's like he's slurring his words together. Two
1: yeah, 100 I, I, percent. Yeah, I agree with you. Totally agree with you. I think that, that Biden but, – but again, being that the aneurysm was before he uh, was elected and ran for president – there's not much we can can do on that. You know, we can't say, hey, the guys. Uh, he was Sleepy Joe then, right? I think uh, Trump pointed it out at that time, and people still said, yeah, we're going to go with this Sleepy Joe guy, even if you know, with the funny business in the election, he still won his party's nomination. He was still the guy that the Democrats put up. They were willing to deal with that. So, with 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 that being said, I just I wish there was that type of political will and people that would approach their jobs in a nonpartisan way. But I think that's just. You know, again, maybe me being a cynic, but I I think it's a lot to expect for the Democrats to throw their own guy out and to cut their nose off to spite their face in many ways. But I appreciate the call, Paul. Big shout out to everybody in Boise, Idaho, KBOI, great station. Let us continue. Where do we go? We go to Reno, Nevada, listening online, Rich Valdez, com. You can always listen live there, by the way, and you can listen to all the shows there as well. John, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
9: Thank you, Rich. Uh, a thing that I've been wondering a lot about lately is the fact that when Trump ran for reelection, election uh, everybody knew he would continue building the wall, and we could all assume that Joe Biden would not continue building the wall. I thought he made a mistake by not concentrating more on that and talking about it more, because there was great jeopardy if Biden was elected that we would end up in the situation we're in now with the greatly increased number of migrants uh, living in cities like New York, Chicago, and Washington. Um, hindsight is 20-20, but uh, I really thought he should have talked more about the danger of what's happened happening uh, back when he was running for election. Do you think that was an oversight of his?
1: You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I can't say that I think Trump ignored the wall. I mean, I think he, he he did a whole lot towards it. I think something like 450 miles was what they had committed to building. And they did something just just above that. I think it was 452 miles is what they were able to build. So I, I, I mean, as as, in, as far as I can remember, I always remember him saying, you know, we're going to build a wall, beautiful wall. We're going to keep building a wall. <laughs> and and I think that was a, a key part of him getting elected in 2016. I don't disagree with you that it's a, an incredibly important issue. Uh, and the wall symbolizes the issue, you know, as some sort of solution to the issue, but th- the overall issue was this massive, um, influx of people that he was able to manage even through COVID with, uh, the implementation of title 42 and, and really stemming the tide at the border. And I think during that time of reelection, we were at the, you know, in, in the throes of the pandemic. So I think that was one of the biggest issues that he had to face and, um, I don't think he ignored it. I just think there was, there had to be a balance there. And the border was really, uh, under control, uh, at that time and during the reelection. And I think he was harping on the fact that, you know, we've, we've reduced the amount of gotaways. We've re- reduced the amount of, uh, encounters at the border and they were all wins in my opinion. So, uh, I think, you, you know, yeah, it's an important issue. I don't know that he ignored it. Um, I, I I don't know where I I, I don't think I would say that he ignored it. I think he um, he hit it where he had to hit it. And I think when you have a president like him, uh, that unlike previous presidents, got 11 million more votes on his reelection than he did on his initial election, when that hadn't been done in recent history with previous presidents, they had all gotten gotten reelected with less votes. I think that says a lot. And, uh, of course, that opens up the can of worms of what happened. And I think that brings us right back to the pandemic where we say, okay, we had the pandemic. We had all of these. um, I don't know what word to use here, but all of these states or counties and uh, and election officials that decided to send out mail-in ballots at at their own discretion uh, outside of of the regulations. And I think that had a, a tremendous impact on the election. And and we've seen that, and he's argued that, and he's literally facing jail time now over discussing that <laughs> in Georgia. So I, I think uh, I think there was just so many things thrown at him at at the time that I I think he handled it appropriately. And you know when when things are stacked against you that way, it's very very difficult to um to to not deal with the first thing that comes your way. You just got to kind of keep swinging. And I think that's something Trump did an excellent job at was continuing to swing. But with respect to the wall, I know that um. When we interviewed the commissioner of Border Patrol under Obama and Trump, Mark Morgan, he said there was 450 miles that they had uh, agreed to build and were budgeted to build. And they had some others that they were were pending to be built. And, of course, they they got sued. I don't remember. Congress sued the president saying you can't build it. And the materials just rotted there and got rusted and whatever it was. And Biden even got sued and, and was forced to build a portion of the wall that was already slated to be built. So. Uh, I think he, he he kept his word there. A lot of people say, you know what? He really went off the deep end saying that uh, Mexico was going to pay, but I think when he put in the USMCA, that was uh, the way that he was able to extract some of the money from Mexico. Um, that's where I land on that one. But, John, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody in Reno. I know it's always hot in Reno. Love Nevada. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue with our calls. Let's see. Where do we go? We, uh, we will go to... Scott in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead.
9: Thank you, Rich. I'd like to respond to the uh Paul before the break who used the uh what I consider a flawed analogy about a house on fire. Sure. You know, if you've got a a small fire in a portion of your house and you run down to the hardware store and come right back with an $8,000 barbecue grill so you can hold cookouts and become popular with your neighbors, that doesn't do anything for that smoldering fire in your house. It just makes you more popular with people, and and maybe they want you to run for block captain or alderman or something. So that was a flawed analogy. Regarding uh, Detroit and the auto industry, um, you know, occasionally industries have to undergo a correction, just like the stock market or the real estate market. They, it wouldn't have been 500,000 people in bread lines. It would have been, you know, uh, they would have found a way. They would have found a alternate financing would have cost more. I'm sure would have been more speculative, but they might have come out stronger, leaner and meaner if the government hadn't intervened. And the last thing I'm going to say is about infrastructure. People act like, you know, only federal dollars can build a bridge or a highway or a a water system or a sewer system or, or a park or a walking trail. State dollars and local dollars can do that just as well and probably better because it's closer to home and they're going to watch every dollar. We had a, 20 years ago, we built a, very large bridge here in Charleston. Probably the biggest, longest, widest in the state was $500 million, And it was mostly state and county money. We issued bonds. And uh, now the local congressman goes out and gets what they can from Washington. And the U.S. senator does the same. But it was going to be built regardless.
1: Yeah, you know, Scott, I, I, I agree with you. I remember that time when AIG and GM and all these people were getting these bailouts and and it was Bush uh, going into Obama. And I remember people saying it's just too big to fail. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna have all these people out of work? And my initial thought was, yes, that's what we're gonna have. Because I could really care less how big your business is. I've had my own businesses. And I know if I was underwater, exactly what you said, I would have to go to my bank And get a loan or I'd have to use my corporate Amex card for my business and and extend myself that way or dig into my savings and and deal with the business that way or sell more and hustle more to make more money. Now, while it's – I wouldn't say it's a false equivalency, but it is a little bit apples and oranges to compare a one-man small business to um, these massive corporations. But at the same time, the principle remains the same. And the principle remains, if you can't afford to operate your business, you can't afford to operate your business. And I think you just said that, that some industries require correction. And I was changed as a young man watching a documentary where they talked about the ice box. And I bring this up a lot, where there was an ice man that brought ice to people's homes, and they put it in a box, and it was an ice box. And when the um, uh, electric refrigerator was created, the ice man dissipated, right? He was no longer delivering ice blocks to people's homes. They were making cubes and maybe delivering them to convenience stores like we see today if you want to buy a bag of ice. But it's not the same industry. It had to change because technology and whatnot changed it. So whatever to me, whatever the external influences that changes your industry, that is what it is. That is what the free market requires and demands. And that's how it works. In my opinion, I believe in a free market. And and ultimately that whether I like it or not, I, that's what I believe. And I think uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. And I agree with your point on infrastructure as well. And, and there's a lot of this. If, if states and counties are getting together to build a bridge and they may want some federal dollars. Amen. God bless you. If the money's actually going to the bridge and it's going to work and it's needed. Super. Uh, I, I'm not uh, angry at that. I do get angry when they tell us we're going to build back better and we're going to spend all this money and you're going to just repeat infrastructure, infrastructure, or even better, you're going to repeat the Inflation Reduction Act. And then six months later, four months later, you're going to come out and say, well, this is one of the most important pieces of legislation uh, uh, for, for green energy. Well, hold on a second. I thought this was to fix inflation, not to promote green energy. Right. So they're they're honest in their lives sometimes. Scott. I appreciate the call. Great, great thoughts. WTMA, big shout-out to you guys, folks. We're coming right back to the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Best head of hair in live late-night radio, six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. You know, today's National Matchmaker Day. I didn't even know there was such a thing as National Matchmaker Day. But it makes me wonder if um we should try to get maybe uh, a matchmaker on the show to talk about what's going on in the world of matchmaking anyway let's continue with your calls 8334825337 let's go to Portland Maine w l l d check in with Allison hello Allison
2: hola um yeah hola. hi um i just wondering i know probably um I just need to talk to my local station, but they only play two hours of you, and they used to play Mr. Lohan for three hours, and now they play a repeat of Bill O'Reilly the first hour.
1: That's <laughs> so racist! Can... I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I just try to, you know, go go after my local station.
1: Well, you and know, I, Allison, okay. you bring up a good point, point. Uh, and I get this a lot on social media. People tell me, hey, I, I'm only hearing you for an hour here or two hours there, or I'm, they're playing you on delay. We don't have any control over that with the syndication agreements with the local stations. But I do always encourage the listeners, if you really, whether it's my show or any other show, whatever show you like, you want to call your radio station's program director and let them know, hey, I like listening to this show. And I know the show runs for three hours and you're only carrying two. Please consider carrying another hour of it. And if enough people call, like I said, I believe in the free market. You know, if people are calling say, this guy Valdez, what a gas bag. This guy's blowing hot air. I can't stand that show. I can't wait for the guy who comes after him. That's fine. That's the free market. And if somebody's offering a better product, amen and God bless them. But if you guys do like this program, then feel free to call. Have that relationship with your local radio programmer, the programming director, because they're the ones that make those decisions. So I, I appreciate you bringing it up to me. I wish there was something I could do. If it was up to me, I'd be on every station I could be on as much as I could be on. But it was very sweet of you to bring that up, Allison. Thank you.
2: Okay. Um, anyway, I just wanted to talk just quickly about the gender thing because I don't want to be a one-trick pony and always talk about that. But I think that they. But, you, them but you're
1: is, somewhat of an expert on it.
2: Uh, yeah, I. I, sorry, I just think the they/them thing is just bloody ridiculous. I really do. Uh, you know, and I just don't understand it. And get, trying to force that on kids is just whatever. And um, you I agree. Know, I,
1: I don't think that's something to gloss over. I mean, again, for those who don't know, Allison's a regular caller and a listener to the program, and and she is a transgender individual and I have no problem having discussions with people who agree and disagree with me, but you yourself are saying that you don't think it's appropriate for teachers to go in the classroom and just start uh, giving this explanation of life, and and you living your life this way, let me ask you, do do you um, go around having to explain yourself that way?
2: Uh, well, not really, I mean, uh, not, not that much. I mean, about the pronouns and all, no, no, I'm just, no. <laughs> I'm just she, her, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't understand Right, and that's that, my you know? point,
1: because like, I know I don't do it, right? I don't go around saying, hi, guys, I'm rich, I identify as straight, you can call me El Macho, or you can call me rich, and, you know, I, I just, I don't, I see it's just one group, and it's not even your group, it's, it's a, this new group that seems to be pushing this agenda, in particular, on kids, and that's the part that I just think is so odd.
2: I do. One of my favorite movies, though, is the giant ant movie from 1954 called Them, but I don't, that's inappropriate, apropos (laughs) of nothing. Do do you know that horror host guy uh, named Mr. Lobo? Do you know of him? Never heard of him. No, he's really cool. He, he's one of those guys who does um, you know, introducing movies, horror, old horror movies and stuff. And uh, sometimes he's on uh, Coast to Coast, the late night show, syndicated show. And I think he'd be a great guest for you for near Halloween or something. I'd, I'd like to recommend well, we'll him. Well, check it out.
1: I appreciate the input, Allison. Thanks for your call. Folks, we're going to take a pause here. Coming back to your calls and more before we wrap up, don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich
4: Valdez.
1: All right, we continue with our calls across America. Let's go to Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Check in with Robert quickly. Go right ahead.
5: Hello, uh, I, Rich. I just wanted to say that actually, we in America have done very, very well when it comes to what other countries have had to experience and pay us in a kind of a way. Because when they, when those people in South America and Africa and and all kinds of other backward countries and places way out of the way places put put 100 dollar bills in their, under their mattresses and then and then we inflate the money they're all the whole rest of the world is paying taxes to us effectively do you see what i mean
1: well i see we in, in the sense of that there's a global economy yes and that's why i think when people say hey, inflation is a global problem of course it is because the United States is not only the, the world's reserve currency, but it's it's how people trade. People people are rich in dollars, right? They might have be rich in whatever currency they have. But ultimately, to, to play the rich man's game, you've got to be rich in dollars and you've got to be able to make those moves. So, yeah, ultimately, they, 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 they want dollars. Everybody wants dollars. When you're on vacation, people want dollars. But it doesn't change the fact that we're destroying ourselves from within. And if there is no more dollar, then we're in bad shape. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Uh, Let's go to Scott in St. George, Utah, very quickly. Minutes to go.
12: Well, you know, I I tell you, we keep talking about all these things that are going on, and nothing
3: can change unless we win in 2024. Take back the House, and we take back the Senate and hold on to the House. So. Oh, can I be held
1: over or are we going to break or what? Nope, that's it. This is, this is the last 10 seconds of the program. Scott in St. George, Utah on 1450. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I agree. We have to win in 2024. Anyway, folks, that's all for me. Take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. Pleasure being with you. We'll do it again tomorrow, God willing. And stay tuned because there's another really good show coming on right after this.